I'm Brandon Reed, and you're listening to Real Estate for the Rest of Us, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of real estate investing. I want to cut through all the industry jargon and instead serve up actionable and unintimidating information that you can use in your own real estate journey. I interview real estate professionals, and we talk about their real-life experiences. It's real simple. Now let's get into the show. In today's episode, I talk with Charles Fisher. As we all adjust to this new reality of COVID-19, investors have a lot to consider. People are proactively trying to get out ahead of any market impacts to make sure that their businesses survive and even thrive in these difficult and unknown times. Charles is someone that I've known for several years now and deeply respect, both for his honest approach to investing, as well as his knowledge of the market and constant study of its trends and patterns. And because of that, he was the perfect guest for this topic. We dive into how we're seeing COVID affect the real estate world and the proactive measures that he's taking to make sure that his tenants are cared for and his business finds a profitable path through this season. It's invaluable perspective from someone who is seasoned in the industry and is actively involved in several areas of real estate, uh, like property management, running a brokerage, flipping distressed homes for retail sale, and buy and holds for his own portfolio. He speaks to all of that and offers an informed point of view of how he's dealing with the uncertainty of the pandemic. If you are in any way involved in investing in real estate right now, you need to hear what Charles has to share. I hope that in this interview, you find practical insights that you can learn from or directly apply as you continue on your own journey in real estate. And now here's my conversation with Charles. All right, guys, welcome today. We have uh, Charles Fisher with us. How are you today, Charles? Brandon, I am great. How are you this morning? I'm doing just fine. Um, we're so excited to have you back on. Um, you were, man, you were my second guest on the show. You were episode two. Um, and if people want to go back and check that out, please do. Um, but we're, I'm excited to have you back on. Um, so thank you for taking the time. We're here to talk about something a little bit different today. Um, something more like pertinent to directly what's going on. Um, yeah, and what's relevant now in the context of COVID and things. And I really wanted your perspective. You're such a, a thought leader in our area of Central Florida um, in so many ways. And I know you have uh, just a lot of thoughts on what's going on and how investors are adapting and adjusting. And so I wanted to get your perspective. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. So well, let's... Uh, Brandon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the first time and, and obviously I, I, I uh, met the cut. And got invited back on. So that's awesome. That's awesome. You met the cut. You met the cut, Charles. Well done. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Well, awesome. Let's start with um, in case people haven't heard the other episode, I still want to give some kind of background on you, Charles. And how long have you been in real estate? What first got you started? What have you done in the real estate world kind of since you've been getting started in it? Well, unbelievably, I think it's been 21 years now since I. Uh, started my real estate investing career, and uh, my first transaction was uh, purchasing a rental house. I did an owner finance deal, six thousand dollars down to a seller, a motivated seller. I still own that house today, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars in equity, about six seven hundred dollars a month in cash flow, and uh, that got me started on a very adventurous and, and fun ride in the real estate world. Awesome. So you were, if I'm remembering right, you were working um, a nine to five and you had a W-2 job and you were doing real estate investing on the side. Is that right? That's right. I used to sell fireworks and uh, (laughs) did that as my day job. And in nights and weekends, I was uh, buying rentals, but mostly buying flips because I didn't make enough money at my job to have any extra spending cash or investing cash. So the plan for me was buy a house, fix it up, sell it, make some cash, buy a rental, and just repeat that process. And that's what we have been doing for many, many years now. Awesome. So yeah, how did, from from your days of selling fireworks and doing this as a side hustle to now today, I know you have your own uh, brokerage and you've, you've just come a long way. So what have you done in the meantime? How has your business kind of, um, yeah, taken shape over the years? Well, you know, we've been very blessed, Brandon, to have acquired a, a very nice, uh, profitable portfolio of uh, buy and hold rentals. I really also enjoy 
the buy, fix, and flip model, taking a house that's, you know, dirty and ugly and smelly and unloved and turning it into something beautiful and making money in that process. That's very energizing for me. I've also been very lucky to have found other people to partner with, been able to do this with my wife and my family as well. So it's kind of transitioned into, and we continue to do renovations to this day, buy and holds as well. But we've, we've grown, as you said, a, a real estate uh, organization, which has allowed me to build a bigger group of people that I can help. So right now, I, I spend a lot of my energies uh, teaching and training and helping other people to do the same things that, uh, that I have been able to do. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I know that's how we um, first got involved. You're, um, you're heavily involved with the, our local real estate association. And um, I know you have a coaching program as well. And my wife and I were interested and we began that relationship with you several years ago. Um, and you've just acquired an, an awesome network of people here that are all um, interested in either starting a real estate uh, investing business or taking their business to the next level. And um, yeah, you've just been really successful. And uh, like I said, you're such a thought leader in the area. So um, that's been great to have your insight. Um, as we as we talk about um, COVID-19, as we talk about the pandemic and how it's been affecting, I've, just, I'm, I've really been wanting to kind of press into that on this show in one way or another and say, all right, how is this... Let's talk to people out there doing deals, uh, connected to the investing community, connected strongly to the real estate market, just in tune with it and what's going on. How is this impacting us out there? What, what's going on? What are the changes we're seeing? Um, how are businesses adjusting and adapting? And one of those things, uh, one of the th impacts of COVID that has just been, I think, very tangibly felt is the eviction moratorium that we have here in Florida. And to be honest, probably should have done the research. I don't know really what other states are doing and, and how that's how that's being affected nationwide. But I just I know and I've heard a lot going back and forth on what's going on here in Florida. And I, I just wanted your perspective on that. Like I said, I know you have a really strong pulse on the investing community and just real estate market in general. So Charles, how are you? How are you? I guess first kind of explain for our listeners who are either unaware of it in Florida or who outside of Florida, what's going on? What is the eviction moratorium? What does that even mean um, day to day for investors here? Well, your great question, and I think many of us as professionals are asking the same question. Mm. Uh, and, and, and really what's going on is it's, it's very dynamic. Uh, there's also a lot of the uh, uh, mandates that have put, been put out, whether on the federal level, the state level, and even on the local level to some extent. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of folks grappling with interpretation and intent. Right. There, there mm -hmm. is a, there's a nationwide eviction moratorium, and that's more geared towards, uh, in my understanding, properties that are um, either financed or involved with government subsidized loans okay. or government subsidies for housing, say the Section 8 housing vouchers or folks that own or investors and landlords who own properties that have FHA and VA loans, okay, which sure. are government-backed loans. So there is a moratorium there. Uh, on the state level, we also have a, a moratorium uh, for similar, but a little more expansive than that. However, it, it has been eased up. And again, I mean, this, this is a, you know, a thing that I would suggest that if you are a landlord, consult with uh, a local attorney's office. Of course. We have mm -hmm. several attorneys that we work with, and we're constantly asking them for updates and interpretations of, of what the, the new moratoriums are, but understand that. So let's go back to March when all yeah. of a sudden, you know, this, this COVID-19 thing hit and things move very quickly. Uh, you know, I own a, a real estate brokerage. I own a property management company and I do still uh, fix and flip houses. So when this hit, I think many of us were bracing for some kind of disaster, right? Some kind of just we didn't really know what was going to happen because this is unprecedented. They ratchet down and they, they, they say no more evictions, no more foreclosures until we get a grapple, uh, 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 you know, a, a, get a hold of a grasp on what is really going on and how deep this is going to be. A lot of the conversations I've had with other professionals is that really, the and, and listen, there's a lot of folks that have lost jobs. 
uh, my daughter being one of them in the entertainment industry here in, in Central Florida, and a lot of people's lives have been impacted negatively. That is for sure. On the other side, there's a lot of folks who it's been kind of business as usual for, and we, we've seen, so it's kind of this incredible dichotomy. Some people that are thriving and some people that have lost everything. And I think that's created a really unique and interesting situation. But, you know, on the moratorium, we have seen an impact. And I will tell you that for the first few months of the, uh, the, the outbreak in March, April, May, and into the early summer months, we didn't personally see a lot of impact on the rentals and income and tenants. In the last couple of months, we've seen a, 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 a ratcheting up or a, an increase, we'll, we'll say, of uh, defaults in rental payments. So it, that's a little troubling. And I think that, you know, that goes along with this extended shutdown and kind of opening and closing and opening and closing of what's going on. And, and really, none of us have much control over that, which is kind of unnerving. But I guess as far as the moratorium is concerned, you know, when this first hit, I made a pledge to myself and to all my tenants of, of zero evictions due to COVID. So what that put us in the position of was getting creative and figuring out ways to not have to evict people because they couldn't pay. Not that we could because of the, the, the moratorium, but we didn't even want to if we, if we could. So mm. we have reached out in our community and, and we've had these relationships before COVID, but we've reached out, doubled down, and we found different organizations, different nonprofits, different government organizations that have resources. We've connected our tenants with those resources and we've had a really, really good success rate for the folks who were really negatively impacted by COVID, job loss, uh, income loss, whatever that looks like. For those folks, by and large, each and every one of them that needed help, we have been able to find them help, which is incredible. And I will tell you that if you are a landlord and listening to this, reach out into your community, know that, you know, a lot of the tenants, this is not their fault. You know, none of us caused mm. COVID and we're reacting to it and we need to work together. You know, that whole idea mm. of the adversary relationship between the landlord and the tenant, throw that away. That doesn't need to be yeah. there. You know, yep. for the tenants that are really hurting, figure out ways to help them. You know, we, we get these organizations, we get the paperwork, we help them fill it out. We help them get it submitted so that they do not have to change their lifestyle and get you know, get uh, displaced from their home. I mean, that's a, that's a horrible thing. To mm -hmm. have to deal with. I think that's a really good approach, Charles. Um, yeah, I just think that's a kind and fair approach. Um, as, as we look at, so what, what the moratorium means, um, it, it, at least locally, the way it's manifesting itself for us and the investor here is, uh, investors here in Florida, we just, so let's, so a tenant, if they they can pay not a dime to a landlord and the landlord just can't they can't go after them they can't pull them out of the house that's what that means that's all that means well what what, what it means is that and in, 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 in you'll have to look again re remember that you've got the federal level you've got the state level yeah, but evictions yeah. evictions happen on a county level so okay. on a county okay. level you're dealing with the clerk of the courts you're dealing with the uh, county judges and you're dealing with the local sheriff's office. Those are really the three main organizations okay. that are involved in the eviction process. In different counties are handling the process differently. Some are allowing the landlords to file the paperwork and they're holding okay. that paperwork until the moratorium is released. Other okay. areas, that's not the case. Some areas, the clerk of the court's not accepting the paperwork. So again, this comes down to understanding the process in your county, mm -hmm. talking to a local attorney that can interpret that process. And if you have to do it, then understand what you can and can't do. In many areas, it's evolved into uh, a tenant having to prove that they had sure. a loss in income or a job loss that's caused them to not be able to pay versus some, unfortunately, and we, we deal with that in, in every set of circumstances, of a certain percentage of people are going to take advantage of 
the situation. And we've seen a little bit of that, but thankfully okay. a very small amount of people that still have money just have chosen not to pay because they know there's no consequences, but that's not really a large percentage of the people, right? Yeah. Are, so, are you, are you uh, requiring that for with your business? Are you requiring proof of loss of income? Well, thankfully we have not had to file any eviction. Oh, good. Right? Okay. And yep. you know, we haven't had to do that. Thankfully, uh, as I said, that, you know, we, we have a couple that, you know, we haven't heard from, and that's really mm-hmm. the thing, right? We we don't know because they won't tell us yes or no that yes, right. we lost a job, yes, we had a, a, a reduction in income, or no, we haven't. Uh, so we just don't know. And and this is just a couple cases out of you know 350 or so tenants that we manage. We're talking less than a handful. So okay. It's a very small percentage, and and I kind of you know it's kind of disappointing. And I, I mean this is important because I think people need to hear this. But I, I think maybe the news media is is uh, making it out to be a bigger problem than it is. I, from my perspective, that's what it seems like. Now, mm-hmm. again, you know, I'm not really interested in what the media and the news has to say. I'm focused on what's going on with our tenants and, sure. and what's going on in our community. Sure. Um, so, okay, so that's that's really good perspective to have. It hasn't been overwhelmingly impactful for you. So have you had to make any uh, tangible adjustments to your business? It feels like you guys are being um, diligent with making sure you keep a pulse on who's paying and if they're not, why. And um, you made a really proactive, it sounds like, approach to saying we will not be uh, evicting, actively evicting during this time, regardless of what federal or local regulations are. Um, so you kind of took that uh, uh, tact early on. Is there anything else you guys are putting in place um, proactively? I, I guess my question is for someone who's been so successful and been doing this for so long, Charles, uh, as people are listening and have a smaller or younger business, um, th- I'm, I'm sure they're asking themselves the question, all right, what are people who are experienced out there doing? How are they protecting themselves? How are they being proactive? Is there anything either that you guys are putting in place or that you would recommend putting in place for people who are trying to be proactive in this uh, time that's so unknown? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we did. We When we saw this coming, we didn't really know how deep and how far it would go. Nobody did. Um, mm-hmm. but we, we did work to get out in front of it. As I said, we reached out to these organizations. Another thing I did, and it wasn't my original idea. So, uh, there was another investor here in the central Florida market that had, uh, gone out and, and bought gift cards and gave them to all of, all of his tenants. Mm. And I thought that's a great idea. We did the same thing. And I, I sent out a thank you card and I said, thank you for being a valued customer that's of great. ours because mm-hmm. tenants are customers said, listen, we don't know what this is going to look like, where it's going to know, but just understand we're here. We want to work with you. We, we don't want to have to put anybody out of their house. So if you have an issue, uh, contact us. Let us help you to resolve it. We don't need this adversarial relationship. Right. And I think of all the proactive places to be, to understand that as landlords, <clears throat> uh, tenants are your customers. Yeah. And so the ones that are going to help pay off your mortgage, choose well, choose wisely, treat them well, take care of them, take care of the property and invest in them as you invest in your properties and you'll see a difference in your business. And that was, was a mindset change that I came to and it took me years to get to that point. So that would be my advice for, for newer mm-hmm. investors getting in landlords, take that perspective from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, put a quality product out there, choose well with your tenants, do the research, hire a company that can do the research for you and, and, and choose well. The other thing that we're doing um, is we're taking this opportunity, like many companies are, to do more things remotely and electronically. Uh, we've really had a big push to collect rents uh, electronically. So instead of paper checks delivered to the office and people having to come to the office to pay rent, we've really had we've had a huge success in in folks logging on through uh, the the services that we use to pay their rents electronically. That's been great. We've transitioned to uh, almost all paperless. So lease renewals are now electronically sent to tenants, signed electronically, and then, uh, uh, you know, 
they receive an electronic copy. So no paper. They don't have to come to the office to sign anything. It saves us time. It saves us money. Uh, and it saves the tenants time as well. So I would suggest looking at your systems or if you're new, yeah. developing systems that will get rid of, uh, you know, bottlenecks, get rid of paperwork, get rid of, you know, having to meet. Now, obviously it's important to invest in relationships, but, you know, sure. with everything going on, that, that's very helpful because margins are small a lot of times. So systems that can save time and save money are going to make a big difference. I think that's, um, I, I just think that I, I couldn't agree more with all that, Charles. I think the, pers- the perspective and the advice of, um, of remembering and getting back to the fact that it's a people business and that it's about people and these are people's lives and livelihoods and homes and memories. And I think you, you need to operate your business as a business, of course, and it can get personal and emotional, but remembering that these people are people and they have lives that they're living in these homes that you're investing in, building, managing, paying off. I think that's so important. And it's not just, of course, it's the right thing to do, but it's not just the right thing to do. It's also, it also makes business sense to treat people right and to not create an adversarial relationship. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, as, as you are, so that, that, that's really good perspective on kind of what you guys are doing and how you're trying to hedge where you can and get out ahead of some of the risks that COVID-19 is presenting, how are you seeing the, the market react? As you talk with other investors, are you seeing people treat um, what's going on more? Because in Florida, um, at least, I mean, that's all I can speak to. In Central Florida, um, as you said, you haven't seen a huge impact yet. And that's been my experience as well as I've looked around. I don't have a big portfolio. I have one investment home. But um, wh- as I look around, I'm not seeing... Uh, so, massive impacts in people's uh, investment businesses. I'm sure there are, and I haven't seen that. But what are you seeing as you look around? Are people pretty much business as usual? Are they buying aggressively as they have been for the last several years? Are people selling off? What is the behavior that you're seeing in the market? Yeah, a lot of those things that you said and more. I'm seeing some investors that are uh, uh, backing away from the market and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, just tucking their, you know, their, their head back into the turtle shell and, and right, kind of waiting right. till the coast is clear. There's definitely that group of investors out there. There's, there's investors like myself. I mean, when this all started to, uh, uh, to get traction in March, uh, I, w- I had several renovation pro- uh, uh, projects going. I was running a retail brokerage. Uh, we never saw a downturn in the real estate retail market. In fact, if anything, mm. it is, it's grown exponentially. And, and as wow. we were, were talking a little earlier, our sales volume on the retail side is probably up 200%, almost Amazing. 250% from 2019. It, mm. It's been just unbelievable. And as a result, we're, we're making some changes in systems and affiliations and things just to handle that increase in volume. But on the renovation side, as I said, you know, buy, fix and flip, we powered through. It was a great feeling when people were getting laid off and having to stay home. We were bringing in more people to finish the projects quicker. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had two of them that we finished up right in June, which was right still in the height of everything going on. Mm-hmm. They sold within one within hours, one within days. So we saw no, no uh, drop in demand. Uh, for, for renovated properties. And think about it this way. You know, if, if you've got two houses for sale in a neighborhood, all things being equal, one is occupied with a family, one is vacant and staged pretty, and you're a buyer and you have any concerns at all about COVID, which one are you going to gravitate to? Yeah, that makes total sense. And we mm-hmm. have seen, yeah, we have seen that vacant houses sell faster. And we've seen mm. with, with owners, understandably concerned about showings and you know, whatnot, those properties, they're not that it's a challenge because the market's very hot, but there's definitely a difference there. So I would say for anybody, you know, that, that's listening, and again, I try not to give advice, but I can tell you that right now for us, the market is very strong and we're selling houses. And I mm-hmm. shared with you the one we're doing right and one of the ones we're doing right now, because we have multiple renovation rehab projects going. Uh, we're setting records. Uh, this house is going to be from purchase date to sale date, 
and a complete renovation, which is a pretty major renovation, uh, 67 days. Now that, that, that's including everything. That's just not the renovation period. That is the day we bought it to the day we're going to get the check, which is uh, scheduled now for October 9th. Everything is on schedule. We've actually moved a ton of resources to this project and uh, we've moved up our, our completion date will be middle of next week, right? Uh, so it's, it's an incredible thing. Uh, full price buyer moving to Florida and we're seeing a ton of people from all over the country moving to Florida. Mm. So if, if you're hearing this, you're in Florida, it's an incredible market and it, it's actually becoming challenging to find deals. There's so mm-hmm. many retail buyers out there finding the properties is getting difficult. But I will tell you this too, on the other side, there are landlords because of many things and the eviction moratorium being one of them and the fact that values have gone up so exponentially, there are landlords right. that are, are ready to retire. Right. They're, they're, they're very interested in selling. So if, if I'm a new investor in this market or I'm a seasoned investor looking to grow my portfolio, I think finding those motivated landlords that are ready to liquidate there's going to be huge, huge opportunities there. Huge opportunities. Yeah, I could, so I couldn't I agree more. Yep. yep. Yeah, I'd be focused on that. Yep, um, I couldn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Finish that. No, I, 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 again. So that you know, they they talk about the forbearance, and they've been throwing out these four million, mm-hmm. five million properties in forbearance. You know, mm-hmm. and I've had conversations with uh, you know lender friends of mine and uh, attorney friends who are in the foreclosure space. They're not seeing the foreclosures. In fact, what the lender friends are seeing is that folks uh, made the mistake because regrettably, and you know, some uh, some people in the media got on TV back in March and April and, and, and big names and said, don't pay your rent, don't pay your mortgage, stockpile cash, and be prepared for the end. It never happened. And a lot of people filled up their life rafts and realized that, you know, this wasn't the... Uh, the, the end of the world flood that they expected. Right. And what these lenders are seeing is folks that regrettably followed that advice. They had jobs, they had money. They just stopped making their payments to stockpile more cash. They're going back and paying down and, and paying off those forbearances. And, and from what I'm seeing, it's kind of like the COVID numbers and maybe I'm pushing up against the politics a little bit. So forgive me, but <laughs> no uh, problem. you know, we, we, we see on the news, all the new COVID cases, but what we don't see is all the people that have successfully gotten over COVID. You know, I think we should be seeing both of those numbers, but we're not seeing, mm-hmm. you know, we're just seeing that static number of one more case, one more case, and millions and millions and millions. But the fact of the matter is millions and millions have gotten over it, right? And unfortunately, some, you know, have succumbed, but many have gotten over. Same thing with the forbearances in a way. We're hearing about these four or five million forbearances, but what we're not hearing is that a half a million fell off and another half a million just fell off because people are bringing them current again or they're refinancing mm-hmm. out of that. And lenders are seeing that and they're telling me that they're seeing that in big numbers. So I do not see personally, and, and you know maybe, maybe there'll be a third time for another podcast visit and we can <laughs> talk about it then, but I do not see this massive foreclosure crisis coming that some people are talking about. Uh, I, I just personally don't see it. The landlords wanting to get out, I think that's the market right there. But mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see massive foreclosures. Maybe some short sales, but I don't think we're going to see massive foreclosures anywhere on the scale of what we saw in 2007, 2008. Right. And so my, my concern would be, as I, you know, I was hearing that too. I was hearing, no, like as landlords, I spoke with landlords on the show or just in my community, people were saying, no, like my tenants are still paying. I heard that consistently. And I just kept in my mind saying like, oh, but what's going to happen when, when cares um, dries up and like when people uh, aren't making that uh, extra money every month anymore, when they've lost their jobs and you haven't seen a shift there, like after the cares payment stopped coming, you didn't see a tangible shift and more people stopped paying, huh? No, we really, I mean, well, as I mentioned, we have seen a few more a few, people, yep. a few, not a huge number, but they were legitimate ones where, yes, the money mm-hmm. was slowing down. However, however, there are some great organizations in pretty much every community. And even, uh, I, I think Orlando, if I'm not mistaken, they took some of the CARES Act money and diverted it to directly to tenants 
to catch up payments with their landlords. Many communities are doing that. Oh, wow. So again, my suggestion, if you've got a tenant that's in trouble, reach out in your community, find the organizations that are helping people to stay in their homes, whether it's a a government agency or a nonprofit agency or organization, they're out there. Um, And it's in your best interest as an investor, as a landlord, to build relationships with those groups, right? And, And to help them, and to know that they're there to help your tenants as well. Uh, we have forgiven rent in some cases, you know, to get people to where they need to be. You know, sure. we're all, well, you know, I, there's a saying, we're all in this together, right? I mean, I've, I've heard it too many times, and then sometimes I think it's said, you know, disingenuously, but, but understand this. When we're dealing with a property and a tenant and they can't pay, uh, it's in our best interest as the landlord to work with them it is, and yep. keep them in the property because it's going to disrupt their life and it's going to cause us more expense to have to get them out, clean it up and spend the money to get somebody new in. Um, it, it just, yes, I think yeah. that is uh, a great, a, a, the best perspective from my I- I, I agree. I agree. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that, um, you know, as you've been talking with lenders specifically, you've seen these people that have stockpiled, um, keep, keep that, they filled up their raft and then they took that money right out. And then once they saw it wasn't the end of the world, they pay, they paid back their back payments. Yeah. That is super surprising to me. I thought people were going to stockpile and then they were going to and then they saw the couch they really wanted for a couple of years and they thought, Ooh, and, or I could go get a new car. I thought that was going to happen. I thought people were going to have more cash on hand, especially people with cares act who are making maybe more than they had been previously. Um, and then they just started spending it on discretionary funds that they shouldn't have. And then when it all came due, they were going to be in a lot of trouble. So that's, I mean, that's great to hear that lenders haven't been reporting that at least in our area so far. Well, and, and that's it. I mean, that's why I'm I'm always working to talk to different people in the community sure. and get people's perspectives. But, you know, think about it this way. I, I have tremendous faith in my fellow American. And mm. are there some people that are going to shortcut that and buy the sofa or the flat of panel course. TV? Yes. I also know this. I'm in the market for a new boat. And finding new boats is almost impossible because there are a lot of people, <laughs> money's cheap. And they're buying up boats. There's, <laughs> my local dealer's decimated. And there's also some, some breaks in the uh, supply chain, right? And that's a topic for another time. So there are some supply chain issues across everything from food to renovation materials sure. to hard goods, you know. Um, so no, there's that going on as well. But, you know, we're, we're seeing people doing the right thing, persevering, making things happen, investing buying their first time homes, uh, moving to Florida, early retirement, people from the Northeast who are fed up with, you know, things that they, they're not happy with seeing that their government officials are doing there, coming here and realizing that it, it's different here. And we're hearing a lot of that. And I hate that that's the reason they're coming or that's the reason that some of them are coming is because of bad decisions by, you know, uh, government officials in other areas. But um, it's growing our economy. I will tell you, we just did, you know, a, a, a meeting of the team on Tuesday and we were going through the sales numbers. And here in, in our county where I have my home and, and have my base of operation, uh, median value from August 2019, August 2020, year over year is up 30 percent. And the, wow. the, the uh, volume of properties available is down about 10 percent. So and then pending contracts still up. And I would tell anybody that's listening here, you know, looking to get the numbers, because I think paying attention to your local market and the, the, the macro market in real estate is always important. But one of the best indicators that I have seen in real estate is that pending contracts. So if you're an agent and you have access to that data, watch mm-hmm. pending contracts. If you're not, and you've got a friend who is, say, hey, what does it look like for pending sales in, in our county? you know, for, for the next 30, 45, 60 days, because that's a forecast into the immediate future. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. Um, it, it, as you, you had mentioned a little bit of this, uh, Charles, you had um, mentioned, uh, yeah, some things that the investors need to be um, looking for and uh, aware of, but what are some things outside of evictions 
specifically that you that you think that investors need to be paying attention to to not only to not only just get through this time and just kind of keep their heads above water, but to thrive in this time to um, take advantage is the wrong word because no one's trying to take advantage of anybody, but take advantage for your business to say, hey, there are there's shifts happening in the market there, and any any investor would be wise to pay attention to things and say, all right, where can I step into these areas to uh, to grow my business and. What are some of those areas people should be paying attention to, either that you are for yourself or that you just think would be good advice for people to say, hey, as these shifts happen, as COVID happens and things, the dust begins to settle, um, pay attention to these things because it looks like you had you had mentioned that pay attention to tired landlords. The moratorium is a good thing or uh, is a good uh, indicator or there are other things that landlords might wanting to be offload. Property values are high. What are some other things you think would uh, be for, for investors would be wise to pay attention to right now? That's a great question, Brandon. And and uh, thinking about that, there's there's a lot of things to come to mind. I think mm. one thing that we should be paying attention to is watching the median value of homes in our area relative to median incomes, mm. because uh, there is a propensity for the cost of properties to surpass the income capabilities and qualifications of, you know, people to afford to purchase those homes. So think about it, you know, houses aren't going to sell in this market, generally speaking, without lenders willing to finance those purchases, because for, Mm. for better or for worse, the vast majority of real estate transactions involve banks money right to make that transaction work so be paying attention to the lending market and the appetite for lenders and investors to put their money into the real estate market i think for us as investors mind your business pay attention to your credit score build relationships with private lenders and local small banks so that you are a good choice and a good credit risk. Because when the market creates opportunity, in order for us to take advantage of it, uh, you know, as you say, re- it's going to require capital. Mm-hmm. And whether that's your capital or a partner's capital or a bank's capital, you know, that remains to be seen, whatever that looks like. But you need to have those relationships built and be standing on ready to take advantage of opportunities as they come available in the market. So mind your own business, make sure your personal finances and business finances finances are strong. Mm. Um, be paying attention to the, the, the market and the appetite of lenders. That includes interest rates, right? Because right now interest rates are very, very low and that's also fueling purchases. Right. If the interest rates click up, then the amount of house that the average income can afford is going to go down. Mm-hmm. And that can have a chilling effect on the retail market. And it will, likely. Now, none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know when that's going to happen, but we need to be paying attention to that. That's one of the reasons that you know I am, am very, very close with lenders and always you know, open to hear, hey, there's rate hikes coming. We think this is happening. Right. Um, that, I think, is very important. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good perspective. I think that it's, um, I think it's wise to to give the advice of um, no matter what, no matter what the shifts are, no matter what niche might be most profitable right now, just make sure that you are set up with the right relationships, the right people around you to make sure you have access to to capital. Um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's great. I would totally agree. You, you people all the time, you know, can I, can I do this business with no money and poor credit? And the answer is yes, but it's going to be much, much, much more, right. more difficult right. than if you've got, uh, you know, a 780 credit score and, you know, you know, some money in the bank, whatever that looks like. And, you know, don't yeah. be afraid. Well, don't be afraid to partner to make a deal happen. Choose mm-hmm. your partners wisely, right. you know, uh, vet them very carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't feel like you need to go at this alone either. Um, yeah. But get in the game. Get in the game. Read, uh, listen to podcasts like this, mm-hmm. associate with people. I would say that has been one of the most difficult things for me personally 
is not being able to meet in person as much as we used to sure. pre-COVID. You know, I, I, I tell the joke, you know, there's plenty of books out there that teach introverts how to become extroverts, but there's not <laughs> one single book that teaches extra, extroverts how to be comfortable being introverts. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just don't think it's in our DNA. Uh, but that's that's been one of the things. And we are slowly we are holding meetings, you know, meeting uh, meeting the CDC guidelines and taking safety and precaution measures. But I have been really, really eager and pushing to get together in small group settings, because I think that is so important as investors and business owners to affiliate and associate and share time mm. uh, and share ideas with each other. And, and you can do it electronically. Don't get me wrong. But mm. there, there's just something about that in person that, that also I think is important in some instances as well. Yeah. And this shifting to the next question here, this may, you may have just answered it. I don't know, but um, what uh, shifting focus a little bit back to you specifically, Charles, what has been something as again, listeners are thinking, um, I want to be where he is. I want to be uh, successful. I want to do this maybe full time, uh, whatever it may be. They may be looking at you saying, well, what did he do to take the next step in his uh, real estate education, you know, they're listening, they're taking good steps by listening to a podcast, but what else should they be doing? So my question to you is what, what's the most valuable thing you have done uh, personally for your real estate education that you would say, if you, if you can only do one thing as you get started in this business, you should be doing this. One thing. Wow. That, and I got to distill down 20. Well, maybe one just thing. one, <laughs> okay. one that well, you would advise. It doesn't need to be the number one. <laughs> I'll take that challenge, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> I would say uh, the, the number one most important thing is your association and the people that you mm -hmm. spend time with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, reading books is important having a desire and you've got to have a strong why. And if you don't have a strong why, none of it matters. Yep. None of it matters. Yep. But once you know what that why is and you're committed to making it happen, watch the people that you associate with and realize that you want to be around people doing what you want to do uh, and making things happen. And then when you find those people, figure out what you can bring to the table to add value to their lives, because uh, that's important. You know, you need to bring something to the table, figure out what you can bring and bring it and associate with people that are going to places you want to go, doing the things you want to do, living the lifestyle you want to live. Number one. Yeah. Um, right well, top five challenge rule, accepted. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so as I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, we entered into a coaching relationship with you, me and my wife did. And that was some of the first advice you gave. Well, and I don't even know if it was explicitly given in those in those words. It was more in in every time you pushed us towards something or advised us towards something, it just almost always came back to relationships. Surround yourself with the right people, build up the network around you. And I, I hope you've seen that in us some as we, you know, I do, I do this on the side where um, uh, we want to just do this for our retirement and we're not moving extremely quickly or aggressively, but we, um, I just kind of haven't gone away. <laughs> like it's been, it's been years, Charles, and we just did our first deal and we have been grinding and, you know, we're starting a family and I work full-time job. Um, so it hasn't, I'm not, I'm not probably one of your students that of course has moved the quickest, but I've stayed, uh, in the game, which I've taken your advice and I've said, Hey, Katie, my, my wife, we need to stay involved. We need to keep um, coming to the seminars. We need to continue to press into our local chapter of the so Real Estate Association because that is one, we, we have a strong why. We know we want financial freedom for our family, but it's the day-to-day the -day activities and making the decision to say, continue to stay in the game, uh, meet with the, do the one-off uh, coffee with somebody who's um, being successful in an area you're interested in getting involved in, or just go to the chapter meetings. Um, and yeah, that was specifically because you've given that advice. So we've heard that from you before. And that's been, I think, a consistent message from you for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, again, Brandon, you know, extremely proud. This, this is awesome to be a guest on your podcast because mm. you had to figure out your roadmap and what worked for you and Katie, given sure. your circumstances. And the fact that you haven't give up, given up is amazing. And, 
you know, it, it's tough because sometimes, you know, we have that natural inclination to compare ourselves to other people and then yeah. that creates expectations, but we all have different circumstances and situations. You know, I mean, you're, you guys are starting a family that mm -hmm. is incredibly important and exciting. And, you know, so, so life is going to happen, right? Sure. So the, the, the timing of things we're not in control of sometimes, but the only person that is going to stop you from being successful is you. And mm -hmm. the only way you won't be successful, the only way that anybody won't be successful is if they give up on themselves and you just have to make it happen. I've seen people come into, you know, the different investor associations that I, I work with. I've seen people make a deal in two or three months. I've seen people take six to seven years mm -hmm. literally to make that first deal and then watch them go crazy. That timing is all uniquely individual. And, right. and I would also, I would just encourage anybody who's listening to this, hearing this, and they're upset because they're not happy with where they're at. Understand that, you know, that timing is not always in our control, but don't give up, stay focused, right. keep building those relationships, just like you're doing. Go to the, the meeting, get on mm -hmm. the zoom calls, have coffee with people, uh, read the books, listen to the podcast, stay motivated, restate your why, and just mm -hmm, don't give mm -hmm. up. Just do not give up. So yep. you're doing the right yep. thing, man. And as you're talking about that, I was getting goosebumps over here, brother. It's, it's so exciting <laughs> to, to hear that. Well, and in the meantime, you set a Guinness World Book record, I think, right? Didn't you? <laughs> I I, did. I'm still in complete awe and shock over that, man. That is oh, so man. Awesome. Just so, so people aren't, uh, just so people aren't overly <laughs> impressed with what Charles just stated, me and my buddy set a world record for the fastest 400 meter piggyback ride. So there it is. <laughs> oh, okay, goodness. Don't take anything away. You are a world Thank you. record holder. That's right. Brandon. Nobody can take it's that away. Amazing. That's right. No, but well, maybe somebody's going to do it faster. But for at least oh, for hey, right now, you you're the yeah. world record holder. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's, That's incredible. Exactly right. That's Thank incredible. You. I, um, hey, I don't have that. I want that. But maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe you can help me consult in what I can do and, and create a world record. I love it. Let's, awesome. We can. I can be your coach, Charles. We can figure it out. We'll awesome. find Would something. you do that? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I got. I got it in recording. So I, I got it on tape. Oh, I love it. Well, one more question for you, Charles. Um, talking about goals and about staying focused on your why. Um, I love this question for my guests because, um, again, I, I try to get um, people on the show who are doing things, who are making things happen and uh, doing deals um, or just like being actively uh, or actively learning and looking to build their business. Um, and as I have those people on the show, I like to ask them the question of let's look one year down the road. Um, because uh, often people who are making things happen are at least goal oriented and working towards things. And I want people to hear that and hear what those goals are and how they're going about accomplishing them. So in a year from now, um, where do you see yourself in your business, Charles? And wh what does that look like? What are some things you're putting in place to make those uh, goals happen? Wow. Okay. That's you don't have to go all the way into all, spot. yeah, just like a couple, <laughs> a couple well, of things me, that are important to you in your business that you're set, it, yeah. even if you talk to your team, like vision that you're casting for the, for the group. Absolutely. Um, let, let me first start off by saying, I think a lot of times people overestimate what they can do in one year and they Completely way agree. underestimate what they can do in 10 years. So, mm -hmm. so I, I would say, don't put too much pressure on yourself for what you're doing in 12 months. To me, mm -hmm. this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Right. Um, and, and, and focus on those long-term goals. But I will tell you that as we speak right now, I am the mid, in the midst of a major shift with my real estate uh, brokerage. I, I can't go into any more detail now. I mean, we'll talk about it another time, but I'm making a major shift. I'm investing in people and I'm investing in systems to take that part of my business, that retail real estate business to another level. Uh, I, I got involved with the retail real estate uh, on a very small level. It was just a way to, to affiliate a couple, two or three of my friends that wanted to buy, fix and flip and buy and hold mm -hmm. and have a place to hang our licenses. That's morphed into a group of over 30 people. And mm -hmm. then uh, the, what my analogy is, I was uh, in the process of building an airplane uh, as we're flying through the air. Uh, kind of, kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan for that. It just happened. Very blessed to have that happen of that affiliation of so many people that wanted to work with me. So I've had to take a step back. I've had to make some, some difficult decisions, uh, to change up 
the structure of our business in order to take it forward. So part of this is, is investing heavily in systems and investing heavily in the people around me and then letting go of some of those responsibilities in that space. So what I see is I see that retail business growing exponentially within the next year. Uh, I see that's also going to open up time for me to spend doing some bigger projects. And I am looking at uh, some, some, com some bigger commercial projects, some things with uh, uh, retirement housing and uh, more affordable housing within our community. Uh, that we are starting to put into effect because I see it, that's where the the market is shifting. We're going to mm. have an increased need for affordable housing, and we're going to have a greatly increased need for housing for elderly people. Mm. So I think those are two huge growth markets, and I'm freeing up time with systems that I can invest my time into that moving forward. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love hearing when uh, investors are putting systems into their businesses. I think too often you're you're many years down the road into building a lot of those systems, even though, you're, of course, as you just said, still refining. But I think people build their businesses without that foundation in place because they just say, oh, I'll just buy a property here, a property there, and they grow to a size then that gets out of control really quickly. And so it's great to hear not only that um, you put systems in place to grow to the scale that you have, um, but it, even as you're at scale and have grown to a level that I think a lot of people would really aspire to, you're still refining those things and still saying, well, where else can I improve and where else can I get more efficient so that I can free up time and look into other things? So that's awesome. I think that's, that's great. A absolutely. And, and it, it is all about a journey. And it's about enjoying that journey. Sometimes uh, the path you're going down is not the right one. You got to back up and, and make a change. That's called life. Mm -hmm. And that's called accepting that change has to happen. And that can be uh, exhilarating and nerve wracking and exciting and scary all at the same time. But mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. It is always getting better, uh, creating better affiliation, having more success and helping other people uh, to have success as well. Okay. Well, awesome. Um, Charles, today, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Thank you for your perspective. Um, this is all great. Brandon, you're very welcome. Uh, I've very much enjoyed uh, the call and, and you've had some challenging questions and, and I hope I, I rose to the challenge. But you did. And you, you made the cut again, Charles. I'll have you on for a third time. Wow. Ian, if you wanted. <laughs> Dang, third time's a charm, baby. That's I'm looking right. forward to it. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks again for your That's time today, stuff. Charles. And we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Be well, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. If you guys enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. That actually helps a lot to get the podcast out there as people are looking for helpful real estate investing resources online. You can also like our Facebook page to keep up to date with new episodes as they publish. And don't forget to subscribe through whatever podcast player that you use. If you have questions about a specific topic that we covered, or if you have a suggestion about another area that you'd like to see me dig into, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I'd love to get in touch. You can email me at brandon at realestatefortherestofus.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. One show at a time, we'll work to make real estate investing accessible for the rest of us.